Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks. You're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. You're listening to Queers, a podcast about politics and culture with Simon Copland and Benjamin Riley. Hi everyone, it's Simon here. This week I interviewed the comedian Jordan Raskopoulos. Jordan started her career in 2005 as a core member and co-creator of the sketch comedy show The Ronnie John's Half Hour. In 2006, she founded a musical comedy group called The Axis of Awesome, and their video, The Four Chords Song, was tweeted by Ashton Kutcher in 2011 and went viral. I'm sure many of you have seen it. Jordan has toured the world with AOA for over a decade, and they released a bunch of viral hits on the band's YouTube channel. During that time, she also became a regular fixture on Australian comedy TV, appearing in shows like Thank God You're Here, Good News Week, and the SBS sports show The Squiz. At the tail end of 2014, Jordan came to the personal realisation that she was transgender, and she began transition and came out publicly in 2016. Since coming out and transitioning, she's found herself balancing her entertainment career with a lot of speaking and advocacy work. She took on the role of host of the ABC podcast This Is About, and has created content around issues such as Australia Day and marriage equality. She also spoke at the TEDx in Sydney in 2017 on the topic of high-functioning anxiety, something I really connected to when I watched it. In this interview, Jordan and I speak about what it was like to come out as transgender so publicly, her entrance into the queer community, and the discrimination that many transgender people still face in the law, health systems, and workplaces. We also discussed what role she thinks comedy can play in social issues, and her career in roller derby, skating under the name Judge Booty. We really had a great discussion, and I hope you enjoy the interview. Uh, well, today I'm talking with Jordan Raskopoulos. Uh, am I pronouncing that correctly? No, that's incorrect. It's Raskopoulos. Raskopoulos. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I, have, <laughs> I have watched your videos and I have, somehow I've got that incorrect. That's all right. Um, well, thanks for agreeing to chat to us on the podcast. My pleasure. My pleasure. Um, so, Jordan, you came out as trans over two years ago now, is yeah. that correct? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was. And years ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, and in the video that you did when you came, sort of came out publicly, you you went into a lot of details about the process of your transition. So I'm not going to ask you about that so much, but I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about like what was it like to come out in such a public way? Um, yeah, look, I was aware. I mean, I'd lived in in the public eye as an entertainer for a long time already, uh, so I was aware that I would need a plan uh, in terms of coming out publicly. Um, so. 
that process sort of it happened coming out it happened in stages that you know I spent a good part of a year coming out to friends and family yeah um initially and and the, you know going through the early parts of transition um and you know did that uh, quite privately and and you know sort of moved away from doing gigs for about a year made sure that my life I was okay my mental health was okay my friends and family has, had had sort of come to accept the changes um and then I came out more broadly to my social circle and that's when I sort of started you know living full time in, in in what you know they sort of you know when you sort of start presenting uh as your as your um identified gender yeah uh and so I did that uh for 6 months before coming out publicly so by the time I released um the video on YouTube called what's happened to Jordan's beard um I'd already been living full time for a year and I'd already been transitioning I uh, sorry living full time for 6 months yeah uh, yep. and I'd been in transition uh for a year so um there was a long process of making sure that I was okay and that my circle and my family and my friends and everything everyone was okay before I took that step um with with being public and so it was a very um careful step and it was very planned as well that um I wanted to tell my story. Uh, I didn't want um, other people to tell it for me. And so I was very careful in, in when I created the video and the other media around it and the interviews that I sort of did and, and things like that, that I gave out all the information that I wanted to be shared. So, you know, I, I figured that people would, you know, having having kind of observed other, other com- you know, public comings out. And, you know, this was around the time of Caitlyn Jenner as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I knew that I knew that they would, um, you know, want to show before and after pictures, and you know all those sorts of things. Uh, so I made sure that I provided those, um, that I picked the before pictures and the after <laughs> pictures, um, that I made sure I had nice photos, you know, to share, and that I had the aspects of the story um, presented in the words I wanted to present them. Um, otherwise, other people were going to find them themselves. You know, they would Google image search and find some awful picture with me just you know, eating a mouthful of cigarettes or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, which exists, which exists. Um, <laughs> that doesn't surprise me, strangely enough. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the big thing about coming out was the bit of advice I got was to come out doing what you do. Um, and I make funny videos for the internet and uh, funny songs. And so that's what I did. I made a funny video for the internet and wrote a song. It was quite and a then... funny video, I have to say. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so, so it was kind of coming out came along with releasing a new album and going on tour yeah, and just doing what I did, which was um, sing songs and, and be funny. And there must've been a nice feeling as well after, you know, sort of a year stepping back to be able to go back on tour and to feel sort of comfortable doing so. Yeah. Yeah. It was nice. I mean, we didn't do zero work. Uh, oh, of course. Yeah. But it was, it was a relief. I mean, we didn't know how people were going to react. Um, I didn't know if that was a life I could necessarily go back to or would enjoy going back to or feel safe going back to. Um, So I was prepared for a lot of eventualities. But at the end of the day, it's a kind of um, a lot of people just didn't give a shit. Um, And that was nice, you know, just kind of being able to, to, to get back on it and continue the way I was always doing stuff is really, was really lucky and I'm very fortunate. I'm actually interested about that a little bit more because I, 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 you could say that your style of comedy is, could stereotypically be seen. And I, I want to really emphasize that point, but stereotypically be seen as kind of a, a blokey male style of comedy. I was just thinking about, you know, you, you make rock music, you, you're, I was reading some stuff, you're a comic and sci-fi nerd, you're on your Ted talk, you made fart jokes, that kind of stuff. It's all stereotypically. And again, reinforcing that point, kind of male comedy. Have people treated you differently? 
differently as a comedian potentially since your transition or seen or somehow thought that maybe your your comedy should be different in any kind of way? Um, I think, uh, I don't think there was an expectation that it would change, but I think there was a sense of relief when it didn't change. Yep. Um, there was a lot of fans who were like, oh, um, we, uh, we thought the show would be very different and it was, you know, what we expected. Um, so, but I mean, I would, I would also like fight you on that. I don't think my comedy is overly masculine. Um, <laughs> that's fair. I'm just, I'm just, I'm pulling out <laughs> some of those little bits and pieces, you know? Yeah, no, look, I, I definitely look, I'm occasionally puerile, but, um, I, I feel like we, we'd always ap- appeal to a very broad audience. I mean, yep. we made even, even before my transition, we made, uh, a concerted effort to appeal to, to, to as broad an audience as possible, um, across age and gender demographics. Um, and if you look at our YouTube stats, uh, they skew a little bit female now, but they, they were pretty much 50, 50, um, back in the day. Um, it's kind of why I was trying to emphasize the stereotypical bit because it's, it's sort of what's, what's perceived as, as being sort of, you know, dudes make fart jokes is the kind of perception, but I think that that's, that's sort of trend. It's not actually true, but it's kind of the perception. Women also fart. Yes, uh, I know, I know. And, yeah, exactly. And, and poo uh, as well. Um, which <laughs> Who would have thought? Surprise for me. I thought after the transition, I'd stop with that awful business. Um, yeah, look, I think. Uh, look, I think. I think the 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 issue that you're probably touching on in, is that comedy is seen as a as a masculine mm. um, area, uh, and in terms of who controls that space, that's very much uh, the case, and, and and a thing that you know female comics have, have spend careers uh, fighting against and dealing with um, the fact that you know many female comics will do a gig and be the only woman on the bill, or uh, off off. I've had I've had you know, friends tell stories of uh, a promoter saying, oh, oh, we'll book you next week. We've already got a girl on this week. Yeah. You know, things like that. So I think I think perhaps um, it's more that comedy uh, is dominated by men. Um, it, it, people perceive the industry to be a, a place for men and a, a masculine uh, place. But uh, efforts are being made uh, to change that successfully but, as well, as well, I think the comedy scene now compared to 10 years ago, 20 years ago, um, is, is very much more progressive. So I guess there's like, there's two elements. You said that, you know, in your shows, people sort of thought there might be a change, but were relieved when there were not, that when there, when there wasn't a change in, in the comedy, uh, do you feel like, you know, given what you're saying about comedy being a sort of very male space, has there been, uh, has it have impacted your career in that, in that way? And that, you know, that have you been perceived differently by the people who are within the industry or has that, has that changed at all or has it, has it not, has it just been sort of business um- as usual? Look, I think for me, it's been fairly business as usual, but I, I, I've established my career. Yeah. Um, and so I'm not, um, I'm not a transgender comic at, at the start of her career, uh, trying to, to, to make it. I, I, I made it. Um, and I recognize that that making it, um, came, uh, because in part of a degree of, of male privilege, um, and I question whether I would have the same success had I transitioned earlier or yep. had I been born a cisgender woman. Um, yeah, so it's not, it's not so much that m- people perceive me differently now. It's more how would I have been perceived if this had happened before I was successful. Um, and that instills within me a sense of responsibility to, to, to be part of that change and... Um, that hypothetical uh, transgender woman who is starting out in comedy now, um, I hope to be a part of the change that makes it uh, as easy for her 
to be successful as it was for me or for for any male comic or cisgender comic or whatever. I guess that's an, it's an important point to sort of launch onto another question I had. Uh, you know, we've spoken a bit about your coming out and on our podcast we've spoken about sort of coming out as being something that's sort of universally queer in a way and that everybody has to do it uh, if, you're, if you're queer. Um, do you feel like since you've come out that you've sort of found a connection with the queer community or the transgender community or is that something that you've sought or not? What, you know, how have you tried to sort of reach out to that community since your process of coming out oh i'm heaps gay hey um (laughs) i think i think though my identity as a lesbian is probably has a bigger impact on my social life than being trans Mm -hmm. um i think one of the things uh that kind of you know the, the difference is that um gay people and and lesbian people um hang out with other gay people and lesbian people because they fuck each other. Um, so there is a, um, a tendency for those communities to, to develop socially because there is a, there is a need. Um, whereas, you know, I definitely had a lot of trans friends through that, through the process of transition. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, definitely maintain those friendships and still have those friendships. But there is a sense that once you're kind of, through a lot of the changes, once you've kind of adjusted, when if if you get to the point where you don't necessarily need a lot of emotional support, or um, you know, you know, you, you kind of disengage from the transgender community. Yep, yep. Um, which is which is a and I've just knocked my table over. That's silly. Um, <laughs> that's okay. That's all right. <laughs> that's all right. Uh, which which is a problem as well. Like I, I think it's good in a lot of ways because there's a lot of pain in that community and there's a lot of difficulty. Um, you know, people tr- adjusting, people getting rejected by their families, people uh, being having difficulty with work, with housing, all of those problems. And there is something good about getting to a point in your life where you're saying, well, a lot, so much has changed that I feel that I don't need the support of this space anymore. Um, but that also means that there isn't really an old guard in the trans community. Yep. Um, that that a lot of the people who, I don't want to say make it through, but uh, you know those people who disengage aren't there to mentor others. And so the trans community often is um, made up of people who who need support or still need support. Um, so yeah, I've kind of gotten away from the question, but, um, no, no, it's, it's, yeah. it, it makes sense because it, it, it's, I guess that that's difficult if you're, if you're looking for support at a time when you're transitioning, but it's difficult because everybody else is in the sort of same boat. If you don't yeah. have that old guard there who are, who are sort of past that, past that point. I mean, it, you know, obviously there's struggles across your life, but, um, totally. you know, past that point of transitioning and, and going through all of those big changes. Yeah. And I mean, there are people who don't, um, get through transition with the same degree of privilege, mm. um, that it's easiest for people to, you know, disengage from the community when they um, pass, you know, for example, when when they can move through society appearing uh, as a cisgender person. Um, and so the people who kind of stay engaged with the community are the people who are, you know, are visibly trans or non-binary people. Um, and I think there there is an, there is a, a, a responsibility for for everyone to stay engaged and for everyone to mentor, um, and I think that's starting to change as well. I think as society becomes more accepting of visibly trans people, there is a there is less incentive to live in stealth or stay hidden or disengage. Yep. There's less trauma associated with the the sensation of being transgender, and that there is a move towards being being proud. Um, 
and at that being something that you can embrace. Uh, so I think that's that's changes happening. And so the desire, I guess, to pass is is is, is becoming less because the acceptance is is growing in a way. I, 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 I believe in, so. Yeah, I believe yeah. so. I believe so. I mean, I think, you know, the the, the politics around passing are very, um, you know, nebulous, and you know, on the one case, being able to pass means personal safety. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but on the other, it does mean hiding part of your identity, and you know, some question. And I, in terms of my own journey, you know, that 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 with me, it, it is linked to to shame and internalized transphobia. Um, you know, I, I I think you know having a willingness to not to be harassed is is fine. Yes, so, yes, <laughs> I could, I could, um, it's totally understandable. Isn't yeah, it? but but I think recognizing um, if you have that privilege, recognizing that some people don't, and um, as members of a community and a society, we have a responsibility to help those people. So, I mean, then sort of going on to that, how do you feel in terms of being quite a high profile uh, trans woman, how do you feel about having a responsibility in this space to be providing support or to be talking about trans issues or those sorts of things? You know, do you feel some sort of sense of responsibility, you know, to, to be to stay engaged in that area in that way? Oh, Totally, that's why I'm talking to you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> totally fair. Um, but it's also one of those things that in my own journey, you know, there was there was a type moment where I said, well, if I want to continue having a career in comedy and and being um, public, then I need to be public about being trans. Um, and I kind of put to bed the idea of living in stealth or, or passing or um, quite early in my transition, mm. and decided even even if um, I was to pass. Or, or blend in. Uh, I didn't want to, um, selfishly, because I wanted to 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 continue my career. But also, I you know there was a sense of responsibility as well. Yeah, and what, and so in saying that, you know, we've sort of touched on this a little bit. But what are some of the sort of the most important issues that you think trans people are facing in Australia at the moment? The kind of things that you're that you're passionate about. Oh, look, it's all over the place. Hey, eh? um, there's there is a lot. I mean, there is, um, you know, the simple ones about employment and housing. You know, yeah. um. um the, the employment discrimination, the, the, the rejection from, of, of trans people from their support networks, from their families, um, that, I mean, and that is where so, so much of the efforts are, are at the moment are yep. still in, um, crisis stuff, you know? Um, but there's, uh, you know, that, so, you know, p- helping people to transition in the work workplace kind of, um, just general knowledge about trans stuff, um, Access to healthcare is a big one as well. Mm. Um, you know, a lot of uh, trans people want to transition uh, medically, and that requires access to uh, doctors, um, surgeons, uh, medication, and that is uh, difficult to access, hard to navigate, um, expensive, uh, and and some of it is not accessible within this country as well. Um, that there are very few surgeons in Australia. There's only one or two. Um, and compared to surgeons elsewhere in the world, they're not that great. Yeah, um, okay. I, didn't, I, was, yeah, I wasn't aware of that myself. Yeah. So, you know, there's a couple of options in Australia, but most people will travel overseas for surgery. Um, that even, even the surgeons within Australia aren't covered by Medicare mm-hmm. um, in, entirely, like the aspects of the surgery would be. Um, so even if you're having surgery... Domestically, um, and, and this is this is sort of male to female bottom surgery. Um, that these that would cost you at least ten thousand dollars, at least, yeah, um, possibly more. Um, 
and a lot of trans people are, are underemployed or don't have access to funds. Uh, and those that do kind of, they, they take out their super. So, um, yeah, in order to... And that obviously actually... has impacts later on in life when, you, exactly. when you've got exactly. less super. Yeah. So when you're taking out, you know, fifteen twenty thousand $20,000 of your super, it's a good chunk of, of your super if, if you're in your, in your 20s or your 30s or something like that, uh, to access surgery that you need to um, be healthy in your life. And, um, you know, that has a, an enormous ramification on the rest of your life. Um, so access to, to medicine, access to mental health support, access to counselling, access to housing, um, as well as all the social stuff. So there's there's a lot there's a lot mm-hmm. going on. Yeah, and it's and it's sort of that mixture of if you have you know uh, if you lose your job because you're trans or you can't get a job because you're trans, uh, then that has a major impact on your ability to afford the the medication or the surgery yeah. and that sort of then you know obviously impacts your social life it's sort of this sort of there seems to be loops of discrimination that are still going absolutely. on there absolutely while while you're also you know losing access to um you know your, your family or your kids or all sorts of stuff um and it's difficult there's there's it's very difficult for people to navigate that i think the other aspect as well is is around uh, trans kids as well mm. the, the lack of understanding um about what it means to be trans, what the experience is like, and what support is available for kids, um, and what support should be available for kids. I think um, the public discourse around that topic is uh, disingenuous, uh, probably to say the least. I think um, quite often when someone says transgender kid, oh, you can't give a five-year-old hormones. Um, But that's not actually what happens. (laughs) Um, and when you actually look at what it means to support a, a five-year-old who is transgender, that support is generally just love and acceptance, you know, um, that the, the, the support you show towards a, a kid uh, who is young would be to give them access to uh, the play that they want to engage with, the clothes they want to wear, the pronouns they want to use or the names they want to use. Um and I think if any child comes up and says, I want to be called this, or I want to wear this, or I want to play with this, um, I think parents should have a responsibility to support them in that. Um, unless it's, you know, I want to play with, you know, this severed dog's head or something. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, um, but you know, in, within reason, yeah. yes. I mean, and I think even for cisgender children, uh, the idea of gendered play um, is problematic. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that's a good point, actually, in that the 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 problem is not transgender kids the problem is assigning kids blue you know boys blue and girls pink and yeah. girls dolls i remember when i was a kid wanting to play with dolls yeah. you know and being seen that being seen as weird because i was yeah. a boy and that kind of stuff and and that seems to be a weirder social convention than uh you know a kid wanting to play with dolls or to have okay. it, to be called a different thing or, or yeah. a different name or something like that and it's and it is it is i i i think um that Kind of yeah, the, the the prescriptive gendered play uh, is is incredibly harmful for our society. The fact that we would go to a to a boy child who wants to play with a doll, no, you you should play with a gun instead. Mm. Uh, you know, in the in the presumption that it is more likely that that child will grow up to wield a weapon than it will to um to 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 uh, care for a child. Um, 
and the fact that gendered play um, for girls, I mean, we, we've made enormous progress in terms of gendered play around around female children. Um, it, it seems that there is more and more emphasis on, on girls can play with anything, um, yep. which is which is great. Um, I really do think we need to start making similar uh, efforts for gender play around boys because we are teaching boys that not only that um, things that are feminine should be derided, um, which then just teaches them to disrespect women because if they disrespect femininity then they disrespect women but we also steering them away uh from play that um prepares them for things like looking after children grooming themselves um <laughs> cooking yes uh, keeping basic their, life skills <laughs> keeping their spaces clean um you know all of those things Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Things are, are, are things that all children uh, should learn. Should learn how to ca- care for themselves and care for other people. Like, um, and but yet we yet we kind of force young boys into into these roles of aggression. You know, the only emotion that's okay to be expressed is aggression and violence. Um, and we teach children that their um, we teach young boys that their emotions are unmentionable. And then we grow up with a society where men have emotions that are unmentionable and therefore are unmanageable. Mm. And we have all of these problems with with masculinity in our society. And uh, I think a big part of that is that the way we raise boys. Um, And as someone who is socialized male, I can definitely point to all the moments in my life when I was told not to do a certain thing or was expected to behave in a certain way or not express certain emotions. It's absolutely toxic to my well-being. And just in the past three or four years, kind of freeing myself from that think and suddenly being in a position where in my life where I'm allowed to cry at things or where I'm allowed to say, I'm having a really rough time, I need some help. Um, the fact that I have permission to say that is really lovely and wonderful. And it is utterly ridic- ridiculous that men are expected to not. Um, yeah. So I've Not do the same. Yep. Yeah. Yep, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I think, yeah, raise better boys. Let, let them, <laughs> yes. Let them play with dolls and, and 
you know, little kitchens. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, um, on your website, you say, sorry, I just want to, I want to turn to a bit back towards the comedy sure. question. Um, on your website, you say the hardest thing about being transgender is listening to Hey Ya by Outcast and remembering to respond to the okay now ladies bit instead of the all right now fellas bit. Um, which I find is, is quite amusing. Um, but I was wondering, you know, sort of we live in a sort of, in many ways, in a very serious world, and we've just talked a whole, about a whole range of issues that trans people face um, in terms of discrimination. How important is it for you to incorporate humour into talking about your experiences, both as a transgender person and in your other parts of, a lo- of your life? And, and, and sort of how do you negotiate that, given the sort of very serious um, discrimination people still face yeah. when it comes to their trans experience? Look, I think, uh, you know, I, I am a, a humorist and a raconteur first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe humor is one of the most effective tools for social change. Um, I think that the thing with that, that, that quote, um, that the most difficult thing, um, about my transition was readjusting to the lyrics of, uh, Hey Ya, of Hey Ya, um, is, is a lie. Uh, it is not true. Uh, mm. In fact, it was quite su- easy to readjust to it. Yeah, I suspected that to be the case. Yeah, um, and I am employing um, I am employing a, uh, a a dramatic technique known as irony, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, in order uh, in order to be satirical. Um, you know that the fact is, I, I love satire. I think satire is one of the most effective um, tools for social change. And I, I hope I hope that people who encounter that quote. Uh, you know, and, and, and things like it, realise that, uh, of course, there are many more difficult things. Um, and, but that's that's why I'm saying it in that way, because because it's ridiculous that that would be the easiest part of transition. Yep. Um, and, you know, and then I hope it prompts discussion and thought and, and, and things like that. And I, th- I feel like engaging people through humour, you disarm them and you put them in a position where they are willing to think. And those who kind of understand irony and understand satire uh, are put into a position where they they are more comfortable reassessing their own um, positions. And often uh, I feel like that they feel a little bit safer than being told that they're wrong or that they're mistaken. Mm, mm. Um, the difficult thing about irony is that in many instances it is taken as face value. Yeah, at yep. face value. Um, and... Uh, yeah, and and that's really that's really hard to say, um, you know, particularly when uh, and and you see it a lot with things like South Park, which they're obviously trying to make um, positive progressive statements through irony and satire, and a good portion of the population pick it up at face value and just run with it. Um, so I think you know that's that's a problem with, with humor uh, being used to to bring about social change is that irony is sometimes lost on the stupid. Um, and it is the stupid we really need to be engaging. <laughs> and so, I mean, I mean, how do you negotiate that 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 challenge when talking about you know all of your life issues? I mean, I, I'm thinking about you know that that particular joke, but also you know I, I watched your TED talk where you spoke about your experience with anxiety, and again, you know, making really great you know I think very funny jokes about it, um, and ones that connected to me as someone who has anxiety as well. But how do you feel? How do you go through the process of negotiating what what is funny and what is maybe going too far or, or, or something that's not going to work? Uh, I, I think, I mean, the thing is that it is an ongoing process. Um, I'm not free uh, from ever not making a mistake. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I, there are times when I've 
made a joke that has uh, had a negative impact on someone. Uh, and they will express that to me. And then I have a conversation with them and with myself about whether I want to continue doing that joke. Um, and occasionally it's just meant, okay, well, I've tried to do X um, and it's had the impact of Y. Yep. Um, can I adjust it to, to, to do it or should I drop it? And that happened. I mean, we, with, with Axis of Awesome, we had a song uh, called Sexual Harassment. Uh, which was like a funk song about sexual harassment in the workplace, uh, you know, and on face value, it celebrated sexual harassment. Uh, yep. And the, the, the point of the song uh, was to talk about uh, music. And the idea was that, that we accept over, overly sexualized um, language in songs without question. And so if we were to do a song that spoke about um, uh uh, a space where it's completely unacceptable. Um, we would then be, you know, making a comment about music, but uh, enough people gave us the feedback that they, they didn't see it that way. They just thought that we were celebrating sexual harassment in the workplace. Um, and so we talked about it. We, we tried to change it a bit and we just found that we weren't getting the message across. And then we were like, okay, well, we'll, we'll drop it. Yeah. Um, if 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 it's not working, it's not working. It's not working. Um, and you know, we we just we don't we stop playing the song. Um, that, I mean, uh, and yeah. I think this is interesting because I mean, one of the things that I've noticed in the debates about uh, comedy, in particular, I think this is occurring in the US a lot. Has there's been a lot of debate occurring about sort of you know some some high profile comedians can be concerned about you know the sort of quote unquote snowflake generation people who can't deal with these politically incorrect jokes. I was wondering about your thoughts on this debate. I mean, I think it's particularly relevant given what you're saying about, you know, if it's not if a, if a joke's not working, then maybe it's just not working. And that's, you know, comedians should be taking that into account as well, rather than just assuming that people should just get their jokes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, I think the difference uh, now with comedy... Uh, or, or media in general is that marginalised people now have a platform to to, to voice um, their concern or or, mm -hmm. their, or their response. Um, the difference between telling uh, all right, the difference between using the word faggot in the eighties uh, in a joke and using the word faggot in a joke today is that faggots uh, who saw the joke had no way to voice that they were offended in the eighties. Yep. Whereas we have Twitter now, <laughs> so if you upset someone. Uh, now, then they get a chance and they have a platform to say it was fucked, um, which, which didn't exist before. So it wasn't that people weren't offended by the word faggot. It's just that people who were offended didn't have a way to say so. Mm. Um, but here's the thing is, is that, um, as if you are a comedian, you are free to say whatever you want. You can walk on the stage. You have those five minutes, those five minutes are yours. You can say whatever you want, but whatever you say has an impact on the people who hear it and uh, and consequences. And you are responsible for those consequences. And that may, might be to entertain someone, that might be to uplift someone, but that might be to hurt someone. Yep. Um, and if you think you might hurt someone, or if you do hurt someone, if someone expresses that they hurt, you have an opportunity to have a dialogue with yourself about that hurt. And you can decide uh, to change because you don't want to hurt them anymore, or you can decide not to give a shit. And it is fine not to give a shit. 
Um, but you accept the responsibility of the consequences that happen. I, if I tell a joke that upsets uh, extremist right-wing Christians and they come back with the feedback that they were offended, my response would often be, good, I'm yeah. pleased. <laughs> um, but I feel like some people... Uh, you know, we'll, we'll tell a joke that will offend women or people of colour. They get the uh, response that someone was offended and they want to diminish that response so that they can keep performing their material. Um, they can keep performing their material. They just have to accept that it's hurting people. Yeah. Um, you know, what they're asking for is a world where people aren't hurt. Um, and that just doesn't exist. Um, you know, you if, if you're going to do that joke then just accept that you you hurt people um, and that you might not get booked again or you might have backlash on, on social media or um, and you got to cop it, you know? Um, mm. So it's not, a, it's not about free speech or, or, or censorship or whatever. Um, you can say, no one's going to arrest you. Um, you can say what you want. You just might not get access to platform anymore. You might not get booked anymore. Um, but I think that's one of the things that's often missed in discussions about free speech is that your speech comes with a responsibility to to engage with the consequences of that speech. That yeah. there is, you know, speech has consequences, and you can say whatever you want, but there is going to be consequences, totally. positive or negative. Yeah, um, Fre- freedom freedom of speech is not freedom from consequence. It's it's freedom from the government arresting you, um, and I think that's that's an important thing. I mean, I, I mean, am I my word to um, comedians who had success in the seventies and eighties who are finding it difficult now because younger audiences are more sensitive uh get better don't be shit um <laughs> the, the fact is nothing nothing from the 80s or 70s is funny anymore um you're old and shit just get better like learn everything changes yeah you know the, the world changes everything's cha- you know the the, the and particularly comedy you know the the, the tropes are old that's done it's boring. You've got to update. You've got to get better, or you can just, you know, play the RSLs in and to that to those audiences of people who love you from the from from thirty years ago. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah, that's yep. that's a pretty fair choice. Get better, yep. or just or stick to your old audiences yeah. until they yeah. die out. Yeah, yeah. Or just yeah. Just or just fuck off. Like I don't yep. care. <laughs> <laughs> we we don't have to change um, our expectations to enjoy your shit comedy. Like yeah. don't be shit. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Um, okay. Just to finish off, I'd like to ask about your experiences in roller derby. Uh, oh now, yeah. Yeah. You joined. Oh, I've, I've forgotten your. I think your roller derby name is Judge Booty. Is that yeah, correct? Yeah, oh, you're right. wearing that. You're wearing the jumper now. Oh, that's a nice yeah. jumper. Thank you. Um, yeah. Well, as I, as I said just before we started, both my partners are involved in roller derby. So yeah. my partner James plays under the name of Copter, and mm-hmm. my partner Martin Re- Martin referees under the name of Denominator. Yeah. Um, the Copter plays for Carnage. Is that right? Yeah, Carnage. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're both involved in in the Varsity Derby League. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they both, you know, James played at the World Cup and Martin refereed it, has refereed at both World Cups this year. So awesome. um, international international stars. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, so I'm I mean, what, what got you involved in roller derby to start off with? Um, well, I, I mean, very early on uh, in my transition, um, so well before I'd actually accepted that I was trans, um, I used to watch a, a vlog on YouTube uh, called Debutante Brawl, um, the young trans woman who was... Uh, you know, documenting her transition. Mm-hmm. And she went on to play Derby um, and uh, went on to play for the USA, Team USA as Fifi Nomenon. Uh, and so I always had in the back of my head that if I ever transitioned, I would do Roller Derby too. Um, 
And so when I began transitioning, um, I did want, I wanted to keep playing sport. Um, and at the time was doing martial arts and, in, and previously had a history of rugby in, in rugby. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't know how I was going to navigate either of those communities with transition, but had met um, someone at a trans support group who, who, who did Derby in Sydney. And so went along uh, there and found it was, you know, the, and, and, and introduced myself to that community after I had come out. So um, I didn't have to negotiate transitioning within a sports community. Yep, yep. And I was able to enter a community uh, where trans people existed and where trans people were not only accepted, but celebrated. Um, and yeah, so it was a safe space place for me to be able to keep doing sport um and you know having rugby skills uh was very useful yeah absolutely advantageous yeah yeah um and and the cool thing is that um you know since starting derby and coming out i actually sent a message to fifi nominon on facebook saying um you know i'm this was like the week before i came out publicly i don't know you know you don't know me you might never get this message, but uh, I watched your videos years ago and I finally, you know, made the decision to, to, to take the steps in my own life to make myself happy. And you're a big part of that. Uh, also, I do roll the derby now. Um, <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. And didn't hear back um, for, for eight months uh, and then got a lovely message saying, oh, it was in my other folder. Uh, this is really wonderful. Um, and then she came out to coach uh, last year at Camp Skate. And so I went to Camp Skate and coached, uh, was coached by uh, my hero, uh, Fifi Phenomenon. Oh, that's and great. And we're like Facebook friends now. And um, yeah, it's really lovely. But there's kind of a, a long journey uh, uh, there. Uh, and so I've got a, I've got a picture of her on my wall. Um, and yeah, people often, you know, I, I ask, you know, have, have that relationship to me now where I get those messages, um, those sorts of things. Oh, I, I don't know if you'll ever read this, but you know, blah, blah, blah. That um, must be really, really lovely to receive. Yeah. And it's, it's nice to be that for other people. And, uh, yeah, old fee phenomenon is that for me. So, so you play for S- Sydney? Yeah. Oh, excellent. Yep. So and I play for S- Sydney. I'm in the snipers. I'm a jammer. Uh, a jammer. I, yeah, I jam like a rugby player, so people don't know how to deal with me. Because uh, <laughs> most jammers are sprightly and agile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yep. I can imagine you are a, a, a different jammer compared to, to 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 most of the jammers I see who are who are who are often the smaller players who are yeah. you know can dart between people. Yeah, so I can do a bit of that. I'm pretty agile on my on my skates as well. Yep. But I, I can also. Um, you know, take a big hit or, or deliver a big hit. Um, yeah, so it's uh, it's fun. I love it. Um, and it, it's nice to just be... And, it like, it's super queer as well, and I have lots of queer friends, and it's nice that the troubles that I encounter day to day or that uh, don't exist in that bubble, you know, I don't, mm. get, I don't accidentally get misgendered. At that yeah, so you haven't faced any sort of issues within the community? Nah, nah, the opposite. Like, it's, it's um, celebratory. You know, I was definitely worried about them. Um, and when I had, you know, early on expressed, you know, when we started doing contact, you know, because you, you train, you learn to skate for a, a good six months before you start doing contact. Yeah. I, I had expressed concern about 
my size because I'm not I'm not small. I'm not like 105 kilos, um, and I I'm strong. I, I'm definitely not as strong as I was with testosterone in my body, um, but I'm you know I, I still I was exceptionally strong as as a, a dude or when I, you know when I was um, testosterone dominant I was definitely stronger than most men. Mm-hmm. So I, I remain stronger than most women, um, and uh, you know expressed concern about that. And you know my coaches were like no, you, you, this is your body and it's wonderful and, um, don't hold back. And, um, you know, how wonderful it is that the team has a, a chance to test themselves against me, um, and learn to stop me and learn, um, because there are cisgender women who are stronger than me and they're, yeah, and they're bigger than me. Oh, um, it doesn't surprise and, me at all. <laughs> and one of them bruised my ribs <laughs> last week at TGSS. Um, and, yeah, and it was just like, don't be ashamed of your body. Just, um, you know, love what you can do, and, and what a blessing to to have that in the community. I mean, I think I think that's really great to hear because I mean, there's been lots of controversies around gender and sport recently, and yeah. like, you know, last year, you know, Hannah Mountsey, the the AFL player, mm-hmm. was banned from playing the AFLW. Yeah. Um, I mean, what do you think other sports can learn from derby? What What do you think it is about derby that has created such a positive community for you? Well, I think, I mean, I think the, the thing about derby is that it came out of counterculture. It was, you know, the, the, the modern incarnation of derby kind of came out of, you know, queer women's movement and feminism and punk. Uh, so it was always had that idea of, of accepting the marginalised and, you know, elevating and promoting the marginalised. Um and I think in terms of broader sporting community, uh, I think you just got to educate yourself. Um, the science and the doctors and uh, they're all on the side of the trans mm. uh, that, that, you know, um, a trans woman uh, who has been through transition, uh, medical transition, uh, is, uh, is uh, acceptably, uh, you know, on the, on the female bell curve, um, in terms of athletic ability, um, that the, the advantages that, you know, and, and obviously I'm, I'm, I'm trying to uh, avoid using particular language here because I think I don't want to, um, dis, dis, um, uh, what's the word? Yeah. I, I, non-binary and gender non-conforming people. I don't, I don't want to, um, say that they don't have a place in sport either. Mm, absolutely. And, um, but I think in terms of the, the, the binary that, people presume exists um and the way that trans you know uh binary transgender people fit or don't fit into that binary um in terms of people who have medically transitioned uh that trans women are 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 in whose athletic have athletic ability within the female range you know similar to cis women um and that is the policy of the olympics and that is the policy of fifa um and that policy is being adopted by more and more sporting organizations as they engage with the um academic scientific and medical literature and research on the topic so i think this issue is largely social not mm. not physical not mental it is social uh and it is people uh, are trying to stop trans women participating in sport because uh, they think it's weird, and yeah. uh, and they are uncomfortable. Which is which is you could see a lot of that in the the Hannah Mouncey case yeah. last year as well, couldn't you? With it was sort of there was no the, the the justification around it was very fuzzy. Totally, totally, and it, and I think it was one of those um, moments where people were tested because they had to deal with a transgender person who didn't. Uh, 
a fit within that their their binary idea of gender. Yeah, they would, and, and it was you know they would have been more easy. They would have found it more easy to accept a smaller person or a person who passed better. Um, those sorts of things, you know, and I think that uh, it's only a matter of time before it changes. Yeah, um, absolutely. And yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad I'm glad you haven't had that experience in Derby and that Derby has been such a sort of positive space, which is my experience with it as well. Yeah, totally, totally. I think, um, yeah, no one's been a dickhead. That's great. <laughs> uh, well, Jordan, I think we might leave it there. I really no want to thank you so much for taking the time. It's been really, really great to chat with you. Thank you all for listening. I really hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. If you'd like to get in touch or make a comment about this interview or about any of our other episodes, you can do so through multiple ways via the internet. You can email us at queerspodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Facebook or Twitter at queerspodcast. You can also follow our personal social media accounts. Ben is on Twitter at Ben C. Riley, and I am on Facebook at Simon Copland Writer and Twitter at Simon Copland. You can also follow Jordan. Jordan is on Twitter at Jordan Rascombe. You can find the podcast on our website, queerspodcasts.com, or subscribe to us on iTunes. And if you do subscribe to us on iTunes, please leave a review and rating. It really helps other people find us. Thank you, as always, to our podcast network host, Earbuds. Earbuds has a great range of podcasts on the network, so we suggest you go and have a listen to some of the other amazing shows out there. Finally, just tell a friend. Uh, we think that word of mouth is a really great way to get our podcast out there. And if you've enjoyed this interview, maybe post it on your social media account or send it to a friend who you think might be interested. We'd really appreciate it. Thanks as always for listening. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks with a new regular episode. See you then. Melbourne's Podcast Network. EarbudsNetwork.com.